this scripture in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 48, is it's the next section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that we started looking at last week. And so it's an extension of the same thought that we were looking at last week. If you weren't with us last week, well, Jesus framed this long sermon that we're looking at in, in terms of the character and the witness of his disciples, his disciples who he calls to look different in the midst of this world. Jesus gives his disciples a kingdom heart now, and that heart testifies of his kingdom to the rest of this world. And for that to happen, you know, for Jesus' disciples to right now be, be like light in this world, then, then our kingdom heart now must therefore also be new. There is a way that this world operates, and, and we did once too, but now we've been given a kingdom heart new. We can only testify to Jesus if we live by that new heart, live this new way that he's given us and called us to do. It's only that newness that can reveal to this world our king and the kingdom we're now in. As I say, it's an extension of the same thought from last week. We're just, we're just going to shift our focus a little bit today from, from the, the kingdom heart now to the kingdom heart new because Jesus sets that up nicely for us in this new section, in the way that he contrasts here the old and the new. And there's a pattern running through these teachings you might have picked up along the way, a pattern wherein Jesus tells us of you know, the old way that we've already heard about and, and the new way he now shows us and calls us to do. He's got half a dozen examples here marked off each time at the beginning with that contrast. Look at verse 21 and you'll see it. Verse 27, you'll see it. Verse 31, 33, 38 and 43. These are all nice paragraph chunks that start with that same formula. You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. In other words, there's an old way that you know about, but I'm here giving you the new. And in all these examples that he does give, Jesus is giving to these crowds uh, things that he's drawing from their culture and their religious culture, mind you. Yeah, these things were not just, you know, said uh, in society, but, but they were woven into their spiritual mindset. Most of these things that he goes on to speak about are written clearly in scriptures. And yet Jesus is somehow bringing something new. And if you give that some thought, and particularly the bit about, you know, how these teachings of Jesus here comport with previous scriptures from God, well, a couple of questions pop up before we even look at these teachings. First of all, we must ask, is Jesus qualified to teach us anew? Is Jesus qualified to do this? I mean, if we already have God's teaching in Scripture in the Old Testament at that time, then how can Jesus stand there and say, Well, you have heard X, but I say unto you, when it comes to the Word of God? And the answer is here. If we start at the start of our text in verse 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. When Jesus says law and prophets there, he's talking about scripture. 
The law and the prophets are are two of the three main divisions of the Hebrew Scriptures, what we today call the Old Testament. And he says, you know, they're not old in the sense that he's come to scratch out those pages or something. No, rather he has come to fulfill what they were waiting for with the new. And so he, he claims to be qualified, yes. Yes, he does. I mean, if it's he who fulfills Scripture then surely he can teach us what's new. And notice how highly Jesus does go on to to uphold those written Hebrew scriptures in verse 18. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. There was nothing bad or unhealthy or wrong in in the Old Testament instruction that was given us by God. Even what we heard has been said in, in these teachings that he's about to give us, even most of those things were written into those scriptures. The problem, it would seem, is that nobody has been keeping that instruction. If we check out verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' day, the scribes, the scribes were those who, by trade, made hand copies of scripture. They, They knew the letter of the law. Every iota, as Jesus says in 18, every dot they knew. And the Pharisees, The Pharisees were a group who were publicly seen to be doing the letter of the law. Every iota, every dot. But Jesus says here that even those people who know every letter of the law and do every letter of the law, those people have not attained the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven. So we need to catch there what Jesus is saying There is nothing at all wrong with the letter of the law. But even those who know it and follow it to the letter of the law have got something fundamentally wrong. Consider the religious battleground that Jesus has just drawn up with those words. Because to his listeners' minds, if anyone knew the way of the kingdom... It was the Pharisees and the scribes of the law. But Jesus is saying they don't know the way of the kingdom of heaven. And therefore he is pitting their life and teachings against his. How do you imagine that would have gone down with those spiritual elites of the time, the Pharisees and scribes? And how would it have sounded to everyone else in the crowd listening in? People who would have always seen those spiritual elites, the Pharisees and the scribes, as as the epitome of righteousness. Who then could enter this kingdom of heaven if not them? But Jesus has just flagged the Pharisees and the scribes of the law as as somehow following an old way of thought that he has come to make new. Their sense of righteousness, righteousness, the very thing for which they were known, well, it's an old way 
of doing and being. And Jesus is here with the new. Turn over to chapter 7 and verse 28. We take a peek at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 7 and verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. A clash of the teachers has begun in chapter 5. The scribes of the law don't understand the kingdom that the scriptures speak of, says Jesus. And so they don't have authority to interpret and apply God's word. But Jesus, as everyone in the crowds can now see, does. And that tension in that religious battleground plays out all through the Gospels. The Pharisees and the scribes of the law continually try now to trap Jesus, to undermine his authority in what he claims to bring new. They won't be made old. And so these religious elites go all out to bring Jesus down, testing him, trying to catch him out in the hope of showing that that he isn't in line with the letter of God's law. Even on some of these six things he's about to teach on, these opponents he just marked out will later be trying to trap him, to try to vindicate that they will, in fact, enter the kingdom of heaven and that they do have authority. Jesus is qualified to teach us anew. The second question we must ask before getting into these new things is, at what level? At what level is Jesus declaring things new? I mean, Jesus just upheld the letter of the law, verse 18. So how can he now go on to say this, this, you have heard X, but I say to you, when most of these things that he raises are actually in Scripture? How can he use that contrasting pattern between the old and the new when it comes to God's word? The law and the prophets, and the writings for that matter too, must be perfectly good scripture to every iota and dot. Uh, Those are the smallest Greek letter and and the smallest Hebrew pointing, it would seem. Uh, Figuratively speaking, the tiniest detail of scripture must be good and true. So how can Jesus challenge some of those things here in his teachings that follow? And on this question, I believe we must accept that Jesus upholds all of Scripture as perfectly right, good and true in all that's been written. But at the same time, he then stops short of insisting that we follow every prior commandment to the iota and dot of the law because he himself goes on here to challenge and to even give contrary teachings, it would seem, to some of them. And so too, if you actually think about it and broaden the picture right out, when Jesus opened up this kingdom through his death on the cross, he put an end to the many laws in Scripture All the previous rituals of the offerings of blood from bulls and goats and the roles and rules of the priests that were commanded in the law, he put an end to those things. Just the same, even before the cross, if you know these Gospels, Jesus was freely forgiving sins without the stipulations of the law in that regard having been met. 
So too, Jesus declared all foods clean from then on, contrary, of course, to the many teachings in the Old Testament scriptures stating otherwise. So, at what level is Jesus declaring things new? That's, that's precisely the question we must be asking. At what level is he declaring things new? Particularly as he only just finished saying he's not come to abolish the old. And the key, I think, lies in what he says next. Verse 17, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is here to fulfill the letter of the law. You might recall that word from our earlier series, the Christ, when we tracked through Matthew chapters 1 through 4. In case you weren't with us then, six times already in Matthew 1 to 4, that word fulfill, fulfill, has been ringing in our ears as everything that Matthew has documented has been happening to fulfill what was written in Scripture. Six times already, and here it is again. Jesus is here to fulfill what the Old Testament scriptures were always pointing forward to. And so here's how the answer to this question seems to all hold together. All of God's word has been perfect and good, including the various laws. In a predictive, prophetic way, the law also pointed forward to Jesus, who would fulfill them. And therefore, at least some of those various laws must have been in some way temporary, waiting and and incomplete, but serving a very perfect purpose until Jesus came to fulfill them. So on the one hand, Jesus upholds the Old Testament scriptures here as perfect and good and never to pass away until the heavens and the earth do. And therefore, you know, not, not old in the sense of needing to be relaxed or perhaps watered down or or even untied or scratched out of God's word. And yet, on the other hand, it would seem clear that not every instruction is still in place, still implemented, still current. He, He hints at that even with that phrase, until all is accomplished. And already, as I say, even though even though heaven and earth has not yet passed away, we, we understand already that we literally cannot continue the various ceremonial instructions in the Old Testament law about atoning for sin. Jesus died for our sin. Jesus died for our sin. We ought not now keep taking bulls and goats to the high priest in the temple in Jerusalem. And so the glorious gospel has, has fulfilled earlier temporary laws and instructions about atoning for sin as That's just a most obvious example of how this hangs together. But they must still be taught from Scripture. They still convict us of our sin, and they point us to Jesus and explain what he came here to do. Every dot and iota is perfectly, gloriously good. So to his disciples listening in, Jesus has validated and upheld the letter of God's law. But he has called into question the way their religious leaders have understood the law and always taught it to them. So it seems that what's needed for Jesus' disciples, what's needed is a new understanding of God's word. Perhaps in verse 19, 
that we jumped over, Jesus is actually talking about keeping these commandments in regard to these new understandings that he's about to now give in the text that now follows. Or perhaps in verse 19, uh, he's still talking about the Old Testament commands so that we know that we need a new understanding on all of those laws. It's a very difficult verse, verse 19, given that continuity, discontinuity tension between the old and the new. Read it with me. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Whichever way Jesus intends us to read that phrase, these commandments, whether it's recalling the old or looking ahead to the new, we might note that Jesus doesn't go on to give us a new understanding about, you know, those ceremonial kind of laws that we were just speaking of that have now been fulfilled, you know, about the priests and the temple and the offerings for sin. No, he actually tunes in more to moral laws, Laws that we'd probably have assumed were were okay, exactly as is, and still perfectly fitting and binding on us for all time. And yet even in these kinds of laws, on things such as murder and adultery, Jesus must give us a new understanding of God's word. Even here, we need a kingdom heart new. So let's listen in. Jesus takes us deeper than, than the letter of the law and into its very heart. Six things that we might think are examples of the spirit of the law. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. The sixth commandment, by the way, in the Ten Commandments, told us about murder. But Jesus gets into the heart of that sin. It it doesn't just start when the axe sinks in. It flows out of anger and harsh words and contempt. And these are the things deep down at the heart of God's law. Letter of the law teachers might hold back from murder and feel totally righteous. And yet they might still miss the spirit of the law. The seventh commandment told us about adultery. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The sin of adultery is deeper than the act of adultery. It starts in the heart where our old sinful desire needs a constant and vigilant check. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife Let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. But I say to you, says Jesus, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
In Jesus' day, there were two schools of Jewish thought on divorce. One of those allowed for divorcing a woman for any trivial thing, such as serving a meal that was burnt. As our old sinful hearts know how to work the letter of the law for our selfish desire. Jesus gives us a new understanding of this law, not just to defend the vulnerable women at that time, but to defend the holiness of marriage at all times. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Let what you say simply be yes or no. When people make a pinky promise, or cross their heart hope to die, or or swear on their grandmother's grave, and all of those things that our culture seems to do all the time, really they only show what the old sinful heart is like on the everyday words that they say. What other reason for such swear statements would there be but that their ordinary yes and no has no credibility anymore? Jesus wants the mouth of our hearts in order all the time. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. These eye-for-eye and tooth-for-tooth laws in Scripture were about protection. Protecting pregnant women from violence. Protecting livestock. Protecting people from false and malicious witness against them. And it sounds here that Jesus might even be repealing those laws now in what he goes on to say. Or perhaps he just doesn't want our hearts to latch on to the letter of those phrases and apply them willy-nilly in our lives. The kingdom of heaven isn't based on tit-for-tat culture, nor pride, nor outright neglect. These are the things he goes on to show us. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This one that they've heard sounds like a fusion of scripture with, with a lot of cultural baggage. Love your neighbour is perfectly clear, Leviticus 19 verse 18 and so on and so on. But when we define our neighbour within a very tight frame, it leads to hearts full of hate towards others, which is sin. Jesus calls to be perfect on love. And the word underneath here is about being complete in our love. God has not withheld all of his love from many or from some. And so he calls us to love impartially just the same. I'm sure Jesus could go on here and that these are just six examples. He's showing us the heart of the law. We needed a new understanding. Well, he's given us just six cases that would probably all give us reason for serious pause. And he's told us through this what what he is about. If we look at these things from his point of view, well, Jesus is not about anger or lust or abandonment or dishonesty or revenge or hate. 
Jesus is about peace, purity, faithfulness and integrity and generosity to others and love. And he wants to reshape our hearts so that we're about these things too. If we put all this together, Jesus seems to be taking us deeper than the letter of the law. He's showing us its purpose, showing its purpose and intent to our new learning hearts. Jesus is literally leading us here into what he promised through Jeremiah, his prophet, 600 odd years before this Sermon on the Mount. Jeremiah 31 and 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Jesus is literally now doing that in this sermon. He's leading us into what his apostle Paul rejoiced in about 20 years after this sermon. In Romans chapter 7, verse 6, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Jesus is setting us free to pursue God's law. This kingdom heart new is not about avoiding God's call on our lives. It's about diving deeper in, pursuing that call from this new heart we've been given within. Jesus has given us a lot to dig into, I'm sure, in in small groups and one-to-ones over this term, as to the detail of all these things. But more broadly, I was captured this week by by Jesus' passion for the Old Testament scripture. And I got to wondering, perhaps we could latch on to Jesus' approach to all this, not just the detail in these examples, but his approach to all this. And, and maybe we could think about this kingdom heart new in all of God's law. In case you've been wondering, after reading this text, in their religious debates, rabbis tend to settle on this one as the least of the commandments in Scripture. It's Deuteronomy 22, verse 6. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you and that you may live long. I wonder if we could find a a new heart understanding even on that little law. I'll leave that with you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for your scriptures and and the way that we see your scriptures celebrated here by Jesus, both Old Testament and New. And Father, uh, we find ourselves here in this tension, uh, this most difficult area of, of, of how as as New Covenant Christians, we're to understand Old Covenant law. Help us with that, Father. This is incredibly difficult and complex ground, but keep us as we explore it from either ignoring it or falling either to the left or to the right. Don't let us stray into legalism, Father, nor let us become lawless. But lead us deeper. 
Lead us deeper into your word, uh, into this new kingdom heart that you've given to us. So we pray that you guide us by your Holy Spirit into the spirit of your law. In Jesus' name and for your glory.